0: Anna Maitland went missing between 11.30 p.m. and 12.30 a.m. on March 19, 2004, in Montgomery, Vermont. She was 5'4", 110 pounds, and 17 years old. Her Oldsmobile was found backed into a place commonly referred to as the Old Dutchburn House. Her trunk was lodged into the foundation of the
1: abandoned house. We now join the community of people, including her friends, family, and investigators, who desperately want answers after 13 years.
2: If any of our listeners have any information, please contact the Vermont State Police.
0: Welcome to Crawl Space. This is episode four of our coverage of the Brianna Maitland disappearance. In this episode, we are going to recap our unrecorded conversation at dinner that we had with Bruce Maitland. We're also going to talk about our experience uh, trying to make it to Brianna's vigil, her 13-year anniversary vigil, which was held on March 19th. And then we're going to play some clips and talk about Chloe's conversations with Brianna's friends, Kira and Katie. And we also want to invite you to listen to Mark Harper's latest interview where we had some clarifications made on some of the information he provided earlier in the podcast. The first thing that we want to talk about is how we had dinner with Bruce Maitland. Dinner with Bruce
1: was exactly what I thought it was going to be. But at the same time, it was so surreal and surprising to hear the things that he said.
0: Pretty casual atmosphere. We met at a nice restaurant in Marlboro, Massachusetts. Had a couple of beers. And uh, we all had a nice dinner. And it was, a like I said, a pretty casual conversation. Anyone walking by would have had no clue what we were talking about. Right, exactly. And
1: he was, he was very candid. He was very candid with what he remembered, what he wanted to talk about. And when things were winding down for him, he let it be known that pretty much at the end of his, uh, his energy was spent at that point.
2: Right. And the conversation ended, you know, with him saying, okay, you know, I'm tired. And, and I get it. It's probably the most exhausting thing you could talk about. But what I walked away with was I felt I was looking at the case with more clarity than ever. You know, this is someone who has gotten his hopes up and down more than any of us, anyone that we've met. You know, he's been at this from the beginning and it's the most personal to him. So when we talk about things that we've heard about, he isn't as hopeful or he doesn't get his hopes up as much as we do or as other people do. And I think that he has the most logical perspective out of everyone because of that.
0: An example, the information that Greg Overacker shared with us off the air in episode three, Bruce doesn't necessarily believe that's true. Actually, he, he told us he doesn't. Now, I don't think that that causes ripples with Greg and Bruce at all. I'm not even sure Greg 100% believes that. But it speaks to what you were saying, Chloe. It's just interesting that Bruce kind of lumps it in with everything else he's heard. What a great point. These two men are, are very professional in the way they're they view the case.
1: One is it's a lot more personal, obviously, because it's his daughter. But, you know... He takes what Greg says and and hey, if if Greg has these details and he wants to look into these these leads and they lead nowhere, he knows that Greg's a professional and he's responsible enough to to uh, to to dismiss it when it's not something that uh, when he he when he can't make the conclusions happen anymore. So it's funny to see the difference between being so close to the tragedy and and being the. Uh, you know the, the the amateur sleuth looking for the clues
2: right and and getting excited about the new clues and thinking that these new clues might lead to something you know and this man has heard every rumor that there is every rumor that's been out there he's heard it um but i'm actually a little bit confused because my takeaway from the conversation was that he believed that the people that greg indicated were involved were the most likely to be involved
0: yeah, I just think he doesn't uh it's not set in stone in his in his mind.
2: Right, he doesn't take it as um he doesn't take it as fact or truth certainly. Um but yeah, my impression was that he thought that it that the parties that he named were the ones that were most likely involved.
0: Greg and Bruce also have kind of an amazing relationship from what I've been able to observe from it. Bruce's face really lit up when we started talking about Greg and um he said that um him and Greg had a good laugh when Lance called Greg a badass in the beginning of episode 3. He said they were laughing really hard about that. And he but but then he said, "You know what? He though he is a badass." <laughs> and and during our our dinner, Greg didn't know that we were uh with Bruce actually, but but Greg Overacker texted me Just something random. I don't even remember what it was about, but I responded to him and told him that, hey, we're at dinner. We're at dinner with Bruce right now. And he wrote back, take care of my guy. Right. (laughs) It was kind of remarkable that a a friendship like that can be sparked through such tragedy. Right. I was going to say, when do you think.
1: Didn't Bruce just have this aura of calmness around him? Do you think it was Greg that came into the investigation and into Bruce's life that gave him a sense of calm that maybe somebody else is, is taking care of this, uh, and getting, getting their hands dirty and he can, he can be calm. D- didn't he seem very calm to you?
2: I think it is a testament to his confidence in overacker and his ability that he kind of gave off that vibe. I think that Bruce is a really likable person just generally and really relatable. Like I think I observed that there were blueberries in his beer and he was like, oh, do you want to try it? And he just handed me his beer. So it was just immediately an extremely casual thing and it was great. Um, But yeah, I think that his friendship with Greg and understanding how qualified Greg is has put him at some ease, maybe.
0: And um, the conversation really didn't get emotional until the end uh, of the night for us when Bruce uh, mentioned why he doesn't really like to talk about personal details about Brianna. He mentioned Brianna has a diary and he mentioned that one of her friends gave it to him and he read it and, and it was a li- it seemed a little too personal to him. And he said specifically, he said, I have a hundred, I have hundreds of thousands of memories of Brianna and I'm not sharing them. They're mine. Yeah. And what he said to us
1: before, when we interviewed him about, He's not gonna open. That's a, that's in a box in a in a room. His memories are in a box in a in a room or in a closet, right? And and those 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 are his, and and he's not gonna open them up. Um, and a lot of a lot of the amateur detectives will just aggressively come at somebody like that, but he's put the wall up, right? You know, he's not, even not... necessarily
0: amateur detectives. I think mainstream media are, are the people who more want to get those oh short sure. wrenching details out of uh, a grieving father or grieving parent. Oh sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was he was robbed of his daughter and now her story is everyone's story. You know, it's very public and I think he's going to hold on to what's left of the privacy of their relationship and his memories of her are kind of what he has left to hold on to. I completely get why he wouldn't want to share that.
1: And the three of us here, we all we all have jobs and we do different things in our lives and we compartmentalize in our lives and we say that we do that right but we don't do that i mean what he's doing with compartmentalizing is that's that's the 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 extreme definition of that word right I, and before this happened he probably would have thought there's no way i can do this until it happens and then he gets a support system you know he was saying that there were moments where people call him up and and tell him that they know details about his daughter and it happens over and over again and he could easily just hang up on him but there's that part of him that thinks well what if they do so you gotta follow up on it and to compartmentalize like that is
0: so impressive yeah i can't can't even imagine um what what his uh the last 13 years have been like for Bruce but he was on a business trip now you know he said he said to us you can just shut down or you can go forward and his inner strength is the only reason he's still working he had dinner with us he is cool with us doing a podcast about his daughter he wants it actually so yeah to to be clear he asked us to have dinner
1: with him. We didn't reach out. He he sees the value in what we do and what those that listen who understand the purpose of this and what they end up doing when they look into a case and they bring forward some information that someone might not have seen before just because it's fresh eyes. He does see the value in that.
2: I know I came to the dinner with a ton of questions um, and clarifying points, which he was really open to. And you know, outside of being a really gracious individual, he's wicked smart. He's very, very intelligent and logical, and I see the case differently after speaking with him. So I think it was, I think he sees the value in um, more publicity in this case through the podcast, but there's also so much value in consulting with him just because of what he knows and his attitude and his intelligence.
1: I know that Bruce is probably listening to this episode, and we might stumble a little bit along the way, but just so he knows, just so, you know, we're doing our best. We're going to do our best. We're going to do whatever you think we need to do to, to help bring some sort of closure to everything. That's me just saying between... Bruce and Greg and... tens of thousands of our closest friends. Yep. Just keep us in check. Make sure that we're doing the right thing.
0: The anniversary of Brianna's disappearance was Sunday, March 19th. And some people were there at the park in Enosburg Falls. In fact, we mentioned it on these very airwaves that we were going to be there. We tried very hard to make it. In fact, we were up there in Vermont and on the way... We were talking about things that we wanted to do. We were talking about what we were going to do when we were outside the Dutch burn and how we were going to try to forget all that we've learned about that crash and forget the the information we've heard um, through Greg and Tarek's informant, the tall guy, all these things. We were going to try to just look at it. Clean slate. Yeah. There's some value in that, right? Take what you learned. that's good. Don't forget it. but just wipe it clean if you're there the first time you're ever there ingest the scene and work with your in previous information later i was so proud of us when we were talking about
1: that in the car i was so proud that we were like wait a sec we're just thinking about the things that we've read and we no let's 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 take it back and let's let's rethink the thing rethink it
0: so let's play a quick clip from the car ride while we were driving from St. Johnsbury to Ennisburg, yeah, because yeah, we God, need to start damn. over almost when we get
1: there. Let's yeah. take what we've learned from Mora's case and apply it here. Like, what is the what is so wrong with thinking that nothing happened there and her car was left there by people? Just a just a small staged thing, and it makes sense, right? Like these aren't professional criminals, so they didn't actually leave blood or something like that, right? They just said it's gonna look weird if we just back her car up into this barn. What? It's gonna look like some struggle happened here, and then they like piece up. They threw a
0: necklace.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe threw some stuff on the ground and and and. and and got into a car and left. I have no idea, but you're right. Like we should just start unthinking everything that, that we've yeah. been
2: shown. Well, working under the assumption that Brianna wasn't in the car at the crash site, where was she where whatever happened to her happened?
1: Right at the right at maybe waiting outside of work. Look at look at the obvious things that we've been told. She was told, right? That she not to go to work that night.
2: I mean, do we know that for a fact? I don't think we do. We don't. Who said that? Tarek.
0: Yeah. They told her not to go to
2: work that night? Tarek, T- I think from Tarek, his informant? And, um, the informant said that was in the parking lot when Brianna was shopping with mom and told her not to go to work. Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. We should confirm that with Overacker. Mm. I think it was, I think Overacker agrees, though. I think he does, too. I'm pretty sure he agrees
1: yeah. with that. Yeah, So let's just say that scenario is, is accurate, right?
2: You think they would you think that they would be more likely to ambush her outside of work yeah. knowing that she would be there rather than follow yeah. her at the, with the risk of it not going well
1: yeah i don't think these are very smart criminals i
2: like the idea of starting completely blank because there is so much suggestion out there and yeah. we don't want to be prone to it yeah
0: On the way to the vigil, well, actually, we were supposed to meet Brianna's friends first, but we didn't quite make it. And uh, and what happened? Well, somewhere along the way,
1: we started. We we were looking at the GPS and and noticing. I started noticing that the time just wasn't really going away on the GPS. It wasn't saying that we were getting any closer. The except the the arrival time was getting later, and we we started going down these roads that were increasingly more narrow and more dirt covered. And we, Oh, they were dirt roads. I would assume they were dirt roads, but there was some, oh, they s- were dirt roads. there was some snow covering some of them. So yes, there was dirt roads and, and there was some snow covered roads and two or three moments, I guess, where we had to do a Robert Frost and, choose the, the the path less or more taken uh we did take one one route that some of you might have seen the picture of which aggressively declared that our gps was wrong which we didn't believe for the record but we did obey the sign right we didn't we didn't believe but maybe after 50 feet we obeyed we said well, it's not it, it it's 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 not there for no reason, right? It's not an arbitrary sign.
2: And I think this was right. the point when you asked me if I had um, like snow tires or all weather tires, and I was like, um, "They're they're good tires. <laughs> like they're new. Like that was all I knew."
1: Quote of the night. Don't worry, guys. My my tires are my tires are good. My they're tires good. are new. One image that sticks out of my head right by that uh, right by that sign that said your GPS is wrong you can't go down this road. Uh, we, we back up, and I remember seeing a young lady sitting in the window of that little house that was right there at that V, and she just kind of looked up and looked back down like she was reading, maybe, and she looked up looked back down like she had seen that happen a thousand times that day.
0: Uh, I wouldn't say a thousand though, because uh, it, it's it's actually really hard to describe how rural the area is. I know we kind of talked about that in on earlier episodes, but um, service was was very spotty. Actually, we were trying to get rerouted by the GPS around that turn because the GPS wanted us to go that way. We had to keep going straight and wait to get into service, and then the GPS would reroute us. So again, it's it's <laughs> it, it can't be overstated how rural the area is up there in northern Vermont. We're about 20 miles from the Canadian border, so. That brings us to a, a a hill where we we went up and we looked down at, at the snowy road and we said, "Yeah, we can make it. We can make it d- down this little hill and then up up the other hill." And it's just a road with some snow on it.
2: And I have good tires. So.
0: I just got to say the one of the one of the moments that,
1: uh, if you just go back, we were trying to figure out where we should go and it was pretty obvious that that left that we took that said your gps is wrong and then we ended up going straight was just kind of it was taking us around like the v was getting bigger so we all agreed at some point we're going at the next major left hand turn we're gonna we're going to have to take this left because that is going to put us back on the road it just it made sense gps wasn't working at that time and probably like a minute or two after GPS popped back into service and take the next left. And it gave the what was it? Uh, I forgot the name of the road. Um, your fucked road. And <laughs> take this road, take this left. And that's and it was like a moment of victory. I, I thought we like we
0: won, we got out of it. That was that was the hard part. <laughs> it seemed like it for a second, but then we decided to try this this road the snow covered road and we made it down the embankment and then we all kind of realized that oh we're we're skidding here and then uh chloe was driving and tried to uh hit the gas uh, as one would do and the wheels kind of just spun a little bit so i hopped in the driver's seat um oh i got it i got
1: it oh i got it <laughs>
0: yeah i got this and then uh, I'm not sure. Was did you hop out at that point and say, "Let me push"? I was ready to push.
1: Okay. I, I, was, so, ready. I was. I so, my, my well, uh, let, let me push this car up uh, there. Tim, you drive? Chloe, you you sit over there.
2: Well, that's when I was In, like, yeah. "Oh, I'll just walk up the road," and you guys were like, "Hell no, <laughs> do not." Yeah.
0: Walk up the road. <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah. Sun You're 70. not going anywhere by yourself. First of all, yeah. We'll get. We'll get back to that.
2: Yeah.
1: The, yeah, the men will get this car out of here. I just want <laughs> yeah. If anyone has ever looked at a football field from end zone to end zone that's as far as the car was down this road
0: and and we did make it a certain distance uh, afterwards i i tried to tried to get the car going and we, we actually got it going a little bit further which ended up really kind of screwing us a little bit more in but, the long run but i pushed <laughs> and then we got stuck again And we all hopped out, and we grabbed these sticks from the side of the road, and we tried to kind of dig out the tires. Wasn't happening. Around that time, we realized that the snow that we were standing on was above the guardrails. So that made us realize we were at least, like, standing on three feet of snow.
1: One of the things I'm not proud of and I will put this out there cuz this is a transparent podcast. I grew up in New Hampshire. I thought we were I thought it was my element. I thought that I could be in that element and for some reason my brain was like it makes sense to go into the woods and cut down branches and put under the tire so that she has traction. Looking back at it,
0: that would—that's not even close to reasonable. I think all of us were in denial there for a few minutes.
2: Oh, I knew we were fucked.
0: <laughs> we were trying to get the car going forward first. We all made that decision to try to see if we can get past this little, this little first little spin of the wheels, get it going, and then that didn't happen. Then it was stuck, and then yeah, it, it, it crossed my mind too that we were fucked, but. We were still trying. We were still trying to dig dig ourselves out. We were trying to put the sticks under the tire so maybe we could back up. But there was really no hope. And let's just reiterate again how rural this area was. Well, there was no cell phone service. And it was about 6 p.m. And so we were about an hour from darkness. And we knew no one around us. There were houses that we passed that were very far and few between. This is a sparse area, a sparse residential area.
2: The irony wasn't lost on me that we were stranded roadside with no cell phone service, and we had had no idea what to do. And we weren't sure how far we had to go up the road to get cell phone service, and if it, it was even possible to get that far by foot. We didn't know if anyone would be home or would answer the door we were we were just completely helpless and
0: yeah i don't think the irony was lost on on any of us that the uh similarities to say maura murray's situation um were ironic to say the least Um, we do the missing maura murray podcast and she got her car stuck and she was out of cell phone service and maybe she had to rely on the help of a neighbor I don't know that's what she did. Just saying that that's what we all realized was our only hope at that point.
2: Right. We, we actually were in that position and, um, and then it had to pan out and we realized in that real life scenario, we could hypothesize all we want, but we were actually in that kind of dangerous situation where we weren't sure if we were going to get help or how and it was cold. So we found ourselves in this position where we had to make a choice that Mora may or may not have made right
1: and the good thing is that we had the three of us there each one of us had two other people that that was was there to provide suggestions or uh, you know an opinion as to what to do even me there if i was there alone and it happened i would definitely feel some sort of panic if i was alone right i mean that's what really disappointed me in myself was that i always thought I can handle situations. I'll I'll have a cool head and no one freaked out by any means. Like we didn't freak out, but but we didn't we we didn't make we didn't make quick decisions. We didn't
0: make quick accurate decisions. Rational. We were not thinking rationally. But we thought we were. Right, which is the scariest part. Yes. And it's funny to to realize how quickly Lance you mentioned that you felt like you were in your element, but it's amazing how quickly that one can get out of their element. Um, and about an hour before that, we were, we were sitting at uh, the hotel in St. Johnsbury throwing snowballs um, in the parking lot, just having fun. We were, <laughs> we were about ready to leave. It was, it was like 50 degrees. We were really enjoying the day. Yep. About an hour later, we were stuck in the snow um, having to rely on the help of what we were hoping was a kind stranger. Right, think of that. We had the the flyers printed
1: up for for Brianna's vigil. We had our video equipment, our audio equipment. Chloe, you had your car, you had your vehicle. We were we were so prepared. We had everything like ready to go and it went from that to grab what you can. We're walking. And we're not making the vigil it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that we weren't making the vigil yeah. uh, but even up until like seven o'clock. It was, it was still like, well, we'll just have to get there late. And then you realized, wow, that car might not be out of there until Monday night.
2: And of course the whole time, you know, we were planning on meeting two of Brianna's friends before the vigil. And I just have this image in my head of them waiting for us. And I have no cell phone service and I'm constantly trying to, to message them saying, I'm so sorry we're stuck. And it, And it wasn't going through. So that was just another aspect of the panic. And then um, when we finally got through to her, she said, like, you should have told me, you crazies. I would have never, I would have told you to never go through Jay. Like, never listen to Google Maps. That's a thing up here.
0: We walked to the nearest house, um, which wasn't far, actually. Um, And we noticed an SUV was actually running. So we said, well, shit, maybe we lucked out. <laughs> so we approached uh, the, this, this older couple, hands up, or literally, uh, we, we put our hands up, said, we're idiots, we got stuck. And they said, you're not the first this winter, uh, maybe about the third. Didn't it look like they expected us? <laughs> oh, they knew. They knew as soon as they saw us walking towards them. Uh, what the story was and the first thing they said to us was that well we don't have a working phone <laughs> we don't have a, no no take that back they said we don't have a phone
2: oh and i was like uh walkie talkie anything <laughs> nothing
0: no <laughs> and th- this couple they are from montreal so they th- this was their you know weekend spot their getaway spot so we interrupted their trip home <laughs> by like 30 seconds yeah, by not long, by a few minutes at the most. If we had decided
1: to try to push that car for one more minute, we would have missed them. I'm not, I'm not, that's not even like hyperbole. Yeah. They were getting in their vehicle, ready to drive home. Yeah, the car had been running.
0: And if we had missed them, we would have continued walking down the road and knocked on the next closest house, which uh, was inhabited by an 80 year old former attorney from philadelphia who is now deaf and from what we heard if he heard or saw you outside or heard the door knock he he wouldn't have answered anyway yeah
2: and then there was nothing else for miles
0: yeah there was a couple of abandoned houses after that yeah right there
1: there was this 80 year old hermit former lawyer and when they told us that i got somewhat hopeful and then they said they're about, what, three quarters of a mile down the road. And I said, eh, I'm thinking in my head, well, that's that's OK. We can walk three quarters of a mile. And he's deaf. And he definitely won't
0: answer the door. And Even I, if he heard you. Even that, if he that, heard was, you. Right. And, and w- once they said that, it was like, oh, well, he, he just wouldn't hear us. Maybe we can you know walk around to the window and try to get his attention. But they were like, yeah, even if he heard you, he wouldn't answer the door.
1: Right. Didn't your brain go to the scenarios of I'm – I'm banging on the door and I'm looking at this guy and he's looking at me and he's just like shaking his head no.
0: So Joe and Jean, they invited us in, actually gave us some beers too, which was which was really gracious. Uh, this this couple, they were an older couple, uh, retired teachers, both of them. They couldn't have been any nicer.
1: It's incredible the reality of 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 karma, right? Uh, Joe said so many times, you know, we tried to offer him something later on that night, and he said so many times, "It's karma, it's karma, it's karma." I mean, I, I they gave us they gave us the facts, right? They said you might not get your car out of there. It's Sunday night. Well, can we do? Can we drive to get a, a shovel? Can we drive to do this? No, the, those stores are closed. Maybe we could drive to a store. Maybe we could drive to sell service call somebody from the vigil, have them meet us at a
0: store, and they're like, there's nothing. You know, at 6 o'clock, they're like, the chances you're going to get a tow driver to come out here at this time, it's, because it's going to take him about an hour to get out here anyway on a Sunday night is is very slim. You're, you're going to be here for the night was what we were uh, told and, and pretty sure, I, I don't know, I, I was going to say we were planning on it, but I won't say we were planning on it because we didn't have a plan for that, even if that was the case. But that was kind of what we were all thinking what was going to happen. It was absolutely
1: a reality in my head that that everything was just put off by by at least a day. Yeah. And we weren't we weren't getting anywhere for at least a day. And the reality of we don't just need a tow truck. We need something that's gonna pull that car out of there because the tow truck's not driving down there and driving back out the tow it truck never is would have made it out, man, yeah. it's, it's it's 17 tons of of tow truck things gonna <laughs> things' gonna go down 30 feet and sink four feet into the snow and that's it so it was how is this happening okay they're gonna have to like like winch it out or something I, and like this isn't happening on a Sunday night it was yeah completely impossible in my head at that point.
0: So Joe and Jean drove us to cell service, and we made a call to AAA. Thank goodness Chloe is a gold card member. <laughs> and we waited in the service zone on Cemetery Road, um, which is just what it was called probably because there was a cemetery down there. But it, it, just, it just was another one of those moments that kind of connected in our heads of, of how bizarre this is and how parallel – and sort of like a bizarro land this is to more Murray's situation. Don't want to say that we're in the same situation in any means, but there's a cemetery road near her crash site, near our crash site. There was two, or, or car site. There's an um, old couple near her site. The couple was the closest house, um, except uh, Joe and Jean were the bizarro Westmans, as we like to joke about, because they couldn't have been more helpful. Anyway, we got a tow truck. A tow truck driver did come out there he ended up needing rope, about 300 feet worth of rope, but it, it was pitch dark. That—that's that, the point I want to get to: is how how hell effing dark it was. Once the tow truck actually got there, you really couldn't see your hand in front of your face if there was no light. And, and we'll play some footage. We have some footage of this. We'll uh, we'll add it to the YouTube video. So if you're uh, if you're listening on iTunes and you're curious, check it out on YouTube. And how fast? Speaking of the dark and and the night. How
1: fast did it go from tolerable to once that sun was down it is now a cold night because it was reasonable right when we were in the car and the sun was out it was 35 ish I would say 35, 30, 35 and then that sun went down and it was it it was cold it, it was it was a cold night and you could hear you could hear the the trees cracking in the woods. That, that that like sound they make when the when the, it's like rubbing together and that cold sound. First of all, we hung out with with Joe and Gene in their in their house. It was pretty evident that they were no longer driving home, and I apologize that we delayed their trip. But I think we all had a pretty good time. Gene. Uh, pulls out a spread of cheese and crackers and salsa and i'm pretty sure there was an adoption that happened between chloe and gene at some point (laughs) i Um, think she
2: read my mind that i was starving and i was like really she offered us beer and everything and i um was i wasn't gonna ask her for food but then i blinked and there's this whole spread in front of me and then when you guys came outside um when the tow truck got there so did joe the three of you guys went out and I kept anxiously looking out the window and saying, like, I should go out and help. And Gene was like, no, no, let the men do their work. Let's just relax. And we were just sitting on the couch under blankets watching um, CBC documentaries. It was super fun. We were nice and warm.
1: So the tow truck arrives. Speaking of the tow truck, the tow truck arrives and we can see the lights and that's probably... Their driveway was how long? I mean, I guess the their driveway was probably about the same distance as the car that was. Yeah, so about three hundred feet. And I see the the tow truck come up to the end of the um, road uh, I'm out there. I see him back up do like a three point turn into their driveway. <laughs> And I just have this moment of this sheer panic that he's—he didn't see anybody there, so he's turning around and he's going to take <laughs> off. And or he saw the car and he's just like, "Fuck, fuck this!" Yeah. So I, all he was doing was just backing up, you know, to to get into a better position. But I, uh, I hauled ass. I don't remember the last time I ran that fast <laughs> towards anything in my life or away from anything in my life, and. This guy was also another guy who couldn't have been cooler, couldn't have been more more understanding
0: of the situation. I was
1: so ready for him to be like, you
0: idiots. He was actually somewhat proud of us that we made we made it as far as we did. We asked him if if any of the other cars he had towed lately from that exact spot had made it that far and he said no, they probably hadn't even made it about half as far as we made it, which we we kind of actually wore as a, a badge of honor.
2: My tires are um, amazing. I told you <laughs> My, really good tires
0: right it must have been the tires and I'm a
2: really good driver, so
0: and I'm a really good pusher. <laughs> But they knew each other. <laughs> they uh, The the driver was like, oh, I remember you. And and Joe was like, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> and they both agreed that there should be a sign there by now, but there wasn't. So uh, so Joe and Gene, uh, check your mail because uh, –
1: There will be a sign there.
0: <laughs> along with a gift from us. So thank you very much, Joe and Gene, for all your help.
1: And uh, two nights ago – Someone not saying any names might have posted a glowing review of Ray's Auto Service and Towing Company on Yelp. Um, it's 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 easy to find because it's the only review, which makes sense because <laughs> that's a very rural area. Um, but Ray's Ray's uh, Auto Service and Towing said that he had he thought he had about enough rope. He thought he had about enough. Uh, enough chain to 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 get to the car but if he didn't then it would probably be about 1200 to 1500 dollars to get a tractor down there to pull the pull the vehicle out (laughs) and we're we're un we're unraveling the the cable from the uh, mechanism on the back of his truck that gets to a certain point we we get the 100 feet of rope that gets to a second that gets to another point then he starts pulling straps out of the truck two straps one rope all the cable he had got exactly to where Chloe's car was. Yeah, maybe about
0: five feet to spare.
1: Which is what he needed for slack. Right.
0: And we probably would have had to have sold our cameras just to, uh, to get the tractor up there.
1: <laughs> I was ready to take all of the clothes I had on me, anything that I could tie together to make up the difference. Because we're not missing the vigil and spending $1,500 for a tractor
0: so that's how quickly you can get out of your element people uh not a joke (laughs) i mean it is a joke but it's it's actually true too uh it it happens really quickly
2: but we were very sad to um, miss the vigil as well but we were very pleased that we made it out there safe and warm (laughs)
0: And now we have a few clips that we'd like to play from Chloe's conversations with Brianna's friends. So Chloe, would you like to tell us a little bit about how those conversations went and uh, and let us know what clips you think uh, are the most important to play here?
2: I felt it was important to hear about Brianna from people who knew her firsthand. I think that it's easy for us to hear second or third hand information about someone and feel like we know her and... We don't. We can only say what we know about Brianna from the people that knew her best, which were her friends and her family. And I feel like I was able to capture more about who Brianna was than I ever was before. Just from hearing the way that their tones of voices would change when they were remembering a story about her or when they were quoting her with an imitation of her voice or they were laughing about something funny that she did, I could kind of hear their voices go back in time and they sounded really happy. And it was a pleasure, but it was also really heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, I thought you did a great job, Chloe, in In the conversations. Um, they seem like really down-to-earth people, but you were able to connect with them on a level that I don't think Lance and I would have been able to.
2: They were very personable um, and, and easy to talk to. They were really open to any questions that I had, and it was just so clear how much they missed their friend and... They were so grateful for any attention that they could get.
3: I started school in Swanton, Vermont, and I had just moved. It was, oh gosh, I think it was my sophomore year. And I had to pet the bus, and I was so nervous about it. But when I got on this bus, I got all kinds of dirty looks. <laughs> and there was Bree sitting in the back seat, a big dumb smile on her face. She said, you're kissing with me. And she slid right over. And, you know, I mean, from that day forward, we literally hung out every day.
2: <laughs> we learned that Brianna was a particularly thoughtful and sentimental person. Her friends remember her that way. She... Decorated her car with handwritten notes that she had received from her friends. She had written them handwritten notes herself as if they were um, in camp, as her friend Katie described it. And um, would decorate her car with notes from them because that would make her happy. And she always remembered her friend's birthday. Um, Kira remembered specifically that she hadn't seen Brianna for a very long time, but she showed up to her house on her birthday just to give her a candle, which was an incredibly sweet story and i think put a clear image in our head about the kind of person brianna was
3: i think it's just who she was i mean if she had a chocolate bar she'd give you the whole chocolate bar if you wanted it you know i mean she was was just the type of person i don't think i remember like really anything specific um except for i guess she was she'd always remember my birthday um one of the last time, actually, I think the last time I saw her, it's hard for me to remember, but I think the last time I saw her was my birthday before she went missing. Um, and she gave me a candle, and um, I hadn't seen her for, like, the longest time, and she just showed up on my birthday.
1: One thing that I noticed when I was listening to the conversations was that they seemed to start off very reserved. And, and Chloe, when you were talking to them and just the rapport that you developed between them and yourself, I feel like they, they started gaining some momentum and they started picking up some energy and the memories started to come back. And one of the memories that I, I laughed, I was, I was cooking and, uh, listening to it. And I laughed was, uh, when they were talking about, uh, the, the popcorn and it was such a, such a thing that stands out in in a 16 15 16 year old's head right just and when you're in your late 20s or early 30s and you think about it like that's just one little nugget that that's stands out in your head
2: katie described being shocked when she first went over to brianna's house when she was living on her family's farm in east franklin um she kind of described her as this backcountry hippie and they had no tv or microwave or stove and she was extremely confused when Bree suggested they make popcorn and then started making it on a wood stove. In her words, she thought, what the hell is she doing? Is It was a very different kind of... Just Method. A, a different kind of, <laughs> yeah, it's just a it's, a... it's a different kind of family. And it, um, I think it was refreshing for her friends to see that.
3: Like, I remember the first time I went to her parents' house and I was shocked. Like, they didn't... <laughs> They didn't have a stove, like, most of the lab. They didn't have a microwave. Like, when she made popcorn, she went over to the wood stove and <laughs> th- threw it in a pan, like, made it like that. I'd never seen that, you know? Um, but to put her TV on, she grabbed bunny ears and tin foil. <laughs> I don't know. She lived a different life than I did growing up, you know?
2: It, so it's probably cool to see that for the first time, yeah, that kind of lifestyle.
3: Yeah, I was like, what the hell are you doing, <laughs> enjoyed being outside her dog meant a lot to her at that point definitely he was a big
2: part of her life it was very memorable for me kira had described hearing the initial news reports that the three women that were kidnapped by Ariel Castro were found alive. All she had heard, you know, she was at work, so she had heard tidbits um, from news stories. And she had heard that three women that were missing for 10 years were found alive. And that was around the time that Brianna had been gone. And for some time there, she truly thought it could have been Brie that was alive. And instead, it was three other kidnapped women um, Amanda Berry, Michelle Knight, and Gina de Jesus. But having your hopes go up like that and then having them just crushed like that, even after all of that time, was hard to hear, and I can't imagine the pain.
3: And then with like the girls that were found in Cleveland, number one, I thought it was her when I first heard it. Oh God. Uh, girls that were found in the house
2: you, you thought that one of them could have been Bree. yeah
3: because i was working at fletcher allen at the hospital and i was just walking through the halls and i could hear my patients um tvs on you know just like as i was walking yeah and all i heard was um three girls found cleveland ohio they've been missing for 10 years and i was like <clears throat> and it was like right around her 10-year mark when they found them or i think it was her 10-year mark so i thought it was her <laughs> um but then it just made me like rethink, like, you know, either one, what if she's still out there? Or what if, you know, either way, she just
1: needs to be out. Chloe, what did you take from Brianna's friends about Brianna's personality that you didn't expect or you weren't thinking about before you talked to them?
2: People had discussed before that she was a really kind and outgoing and friendly girl but um they were really emphasizing how she truly saw the best in people and that she would kind of go along with anything and would just introduce herself to anyone and she so i think that she was inordinately um someone that saw the best in people more than the average person and i also learned that she was into scream music like the super loud and scary music that you kind of wouldn't expect a teenage girl to really like but as Katie said, she would headbang in a second. Um, but they also liked the more popular music of the time, including My Immortal by Evanescence, which is played um, at the vigil every year um, at the anniversary of her disappearance. She was athletic and was really good at jiu-jitsu, and she enjoyed the outdoors and tearing her old Jeep Wrangler down the muddy roads with her friends. I don't know if she got stuck like we did. Probably not. She probably knew better. She... And her friends would go to dirt bike races, and she loved her wrinkle-faced dog and her cat, and she helped tend to cattle and horses on her family farm. Hearing these specific details was very humanizing, and it was good to hear.
1: It's really a rarity to encounter friends like that uh, who lost someone who probably would have... Been a lifelong friend to them. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you get the sense that if Brianna was still around her friends like Katie and Kira that they would still be buddies um, no matter where their situation was in life?
2: Katie said, you know, I, I asked them both, you know, if Brianna were, were here today, what do you think she would be up to? And the first thing out of Katie's mouth was she would, she would be sitting in this car with me right now. Because you know, she was sitting in her car during our phone call, and you know that actually made my eyes well up a little bit with tears because she said that with such certainty that they would still be best friends and that she would just be sitting in that car with her and they'd be driving around just like old times. Um, they both They both also said that they believed that she would be in some sort of helping profession. Um, Kira's currently in nursing, and she thinks that Brianna would want to be doing something involving helping people as well. Oh
3: my gosh. Oh, I don't know that's a crazy thought, <laughs> yeah, um, sitting in my car with me <laughs> yeah <laughs> outside of that i really i I don't know, I mean she would be doing something working directly with the public, helping people, I would believe. <laughs> okay
0: and before we get out of here with episode four we just want to mention that we interviewed mark harper of mja again and he clarified some of the details that we had all sort of gotten incorrect about this case earlier on uh so check out that um it's the syringe the underwear uh, they they were not found in the car. So if you want to hear it, please check it out. And uh, Mark Harper is is a very interesting guy. So I think you may enjoy the full interview because um, we go on to a little bit more of his uh, his history, his past um, investigation uh, techniques, and things like that. And during our pre-show meeting, uh, Lance was was re- really didn't want me to mention this, but we had a pre-show you... meeting. If you give us a five-star iTunes review, we will read it on the next episode. And I'll—I Don't stop me, Lance. Don't stop me. We're going to read it on the next episode because we owe it to our audience. If you give us a five-star review between now and the next time we record, we'll read it. Don't even try to stop me, Lance and Chloe. I'm not trying to stop
1: you. I'm just going to say if you give us a five-star, then you will receive a Crawl Space Notebook... Crawlspace pen and a crawlspace mouse pad, and I'll even throw in a crawlspace bookmark. Okay, so bribery
0: is coming your way with a five-star review. I learned from the best. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> please follow us on Twitter at Crawlspace Pod. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, we're on YouTube. Check us out. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We will be back with more soon.